Let us pray. Our precious Father, we are very, very grateful for today, for making it possible for us to come today to listen to you, to hear from you. Because you love to speak to us, and nobody will come to you and live the same. You always like to bless us. As a matter of fact, you have already blessed us. And we thank you, Father. We commit to this service. Everything, Father, we are going to do today will bring glory to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. So today I'm going to talk about crossing over to the other side. Crossing over to the other side. You know, the year is almost coming to an end. And when the year comes to an end, we all think of the next year, which will be 2023. So we're going to start by reading um, Mark 4. We're going to read from 35 to 41, NLT. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. 36, so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. 37, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat and his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? For the one, disciples, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Praise the Lord. You know, the day in question was a very busy day for Jesus and his disciples. If you go back and read from verse 1 on that very chapter 4, you will see that Jesus spent time talking to people about the parables. He talked to them about the parables of the sower, about the parables of the lampstand, about the parables of the mustard seed, about the parable of the growing seed. These are very important parables that we all know about. And he felt that he wants to spend time, he wanted to spend time with his disciples. And he decided that they should cross over to the, the, other, to the other side of the lake. Praise the Lord. So you can imagine how tired they were. You can imagine how tired they were because verse 34 says, I mean, 35, the beginning says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. The whole idea of crossing over to the other side was 
Jesus' idea. He initiated it. It wasn't the disciples. He initiated it. So I want to pause at this moment to commend those disciples because, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, they, 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 probably they were tired. But they didn't murmur. They didn't say, no, man, no be wood. We just finished all day. We spent all day with people, and now in the night, instead of us to rest, you want us to cross over to the other side. But what happened? They obeyed. They did exactly what Hebrew 13, 17 asked us to do. Praise the Lord. Can we see Hebrews 13, 17 and everything? It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That will certainly not be for your benefit. So obedience, I say here, obedience is not complete until you do. Jesus asked them, let us cross over, and they obeyed. They obeyed. So obedience cannot be complete until you do. We remember the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21, 28 to 31. When Jesus told us, he said, but what do you think about this? Jesus was asking, a man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and walk in the vineyard today. 29, the son answered, no, I won't go. But later, he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told his, the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, sir, I will. But he didn't go. And Jesus asked an important question. He said, which of the two obeyed his father? And the reply was, the one that went. So obedience must accompany doing for it to be complete. If I asked you to do something and you didn't do it, and later you went, I, you know, I would be happy about it. Praise the Lord. So God, God has made it known to us that we must all give account. Because in the passage I read, it says, their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable for you. Just a minute, I think I lost it. So God has made it known to us that we must all give account. Please, let's go back to 13. 13, uh, 17. So how many of us know that Jesus gave account of those God gave him? We are going to give account as children of God. And this is very, very important in our lives as Christians. Knowing fully well that everything we do, that one day we are going to give account of what we did. Jesus gave an account to God. So while I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them. And only one of them was lost, the one who was sure to be lost. This was to show the truth of what the scriptures said 
would happen. So the same way Jesus gave account of the people God gave him is the same way we are going to give an account. God will want us to give account of how we raise our children because he has told us in Proverbs 22, says, train up your children the way they should go and that when they grow, they will never depart from it. He wants us to train our children the way Abraham trained his children. Remember in Genesis 18:19, when he says, I know Abraham, that he will direct his children, train his children to follow my way. So are we doing this with our children? Remember that the main reason God joined man together is to be a godly children. Godly children. Let's look at Malachi 2.15. Is it a reversion? It says, God wants husbands and wives to become one body and one spirit. Why? So that they would have holy children and protect them spiritual and protect that spiritual unity. So this is why God wants us to give him godly children. And let me tell you the truth. There's no way you can raise godly children if there's no peace in your family. If husband and wives are having misunderstanding all the time, quarreling, you cannot raise godly children except by the intervention of the Holy Spirit. The children might grow to neglect the life you guys are exhibiting or showing to them. God said, all souls what belong to me. So the Bible says, as evening came, as evening came, some of us are in their evening season. During the evening seasons, there's darkness in our lives. Nothing is moving. Everything seems dark in your marriage. Instead of you enjoying your marriage, you are enduring your marriage. Everything seems dark in your family. Series of death, abuses, neglect. Everything seems dark in your career. Everything seems dark in your business. Everything seems dark in your finance. These are the evening seasons. But the Lord is telling us today, it is time to do what? To cross over. Praise the Lord. It is time to cross over to the better side of life. You know, one thing that uh, pains me the most, the most is whenever I hear that Christians or a Christian committed suicide. But I want to tell you, church, that life has two sides. Life has two sides. I want you to preach to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, life has two sides. What you are today may not be what you will be tomorrow. Life has two sides. And never conclude your life based on one side. That you are suffering today does not mean that you suffer, suffer forever. Praise the Lord. Don't let the devil make you think otherwise. According to John 10.10, 10, Satan has three missions in this world. The thieves. The Bible calls Satan the thieves. He says his main purpose, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Praise the Lord. This means Satan cannot go to steal from anywhere 
he cannot get something. So before he attacks, he must first of all determine if there are something worth stealing, if there are something worth killing, and if there are something worth destroying. I remember in Lagos in those days, I was, this is a story I heard about five notorious uh, armed robbers. You see, they steal according to demand. They have uh, customers, people that will tell them, I want uh, 100 TV sets. And then they will go and steal 100 TV sets and deliver. And they get paid for that. So that day, that, you know, that, that was the day they, they wanted to, they, they planned to steal TVs. And what they do is they, 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 when they come to your house, they look, you know, back home, uh, they have uh, antennas on the ceilings. And that, that antenna will tell them that you have TV in your house. So they came to this flat, a flat of six. And then they checked. There were six antennas. And they believed that there's going to be six uh, television. So they started reading. Collected one, two, three, four, five. When they got to the sixth one, the guy opened the door, they came in, and then they didn't see any TV. And then they asked him, where's your TV? He said, I don't have TV. But he said, but you have antenna. I said, yeah, just to deceive people. <laughs> and, and then they said, um, they all sat down, five of them sat down. Okay, let's get some drink, let us drink. He said, I don't have any drink. I said, where are you, where are you from? So he's from Oboe. So they said, oh, you, you left your mother, your poor mother in the village. And then you came here, you don't have a TV, you don't have drinks. And then their ring leader called one of them. How much is uh, transportation to Oboe? <laughs> and he told them, they can't take the money I gave him. They said, by tomorrow, enter Moto and go back to uh, village so that you'll be of use to your mother. Don't stay here because you are useless for us. <laughs> so this is why we cannot attack unbelievers. This is why Satan cannot attack unbelievers. Because they have nothing for him to steal. They are already in his camp. You cannot steal your own property. No way. You can't steal what you have. So Satan cannot attack unbelievers. He comes for you and I. Because we have something he wants to steal, our faith. Praise the Lord. And this is why 1 Peter 5.8 is telling us today to be vigilant. To be vigilant. We have to be vigilant because we have something he wants to steal. He wants to steal our faith. Let's read 1 Peter 5.8-9. to Say, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls, prowls means moving around restlessly. He's moving around restlessly, around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, to devour, to eat hungrily, destroy. Looking for someone to, to destroy. Number nine, say, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. 
Remember that you are family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Yes, he's after our faith. But verse 9 tells us what exactly to do to defeat him. Number one, he says, stand firm. Stand firm against him. And how do we stand firm? How do we stand firm against Satan? Ephesians 6, 1 to 13 says, put on all of God's armor. All, not some. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Because he, got to, he, you know, he has too many strategies. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's, every piece, says every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Praise the Lord. Number two is, says, and be strong in your faith. The faith is our victory. Be strong in our faith. So like I said before, life has two sides. So let's, let's read the Exodus 3, 1 to 3. It says, for every time, everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to, uh, to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. So don't you ever base your life on one side, like we said. Like you said, I said, you may be poor today, but rich tomorrow. You may be single today, but tomorrow you'll be married. The best part of your life is, is never behind you. The best part of your life is ahead of you. Praise the Lord. And we will all live to see the best part of our life in Jesus' name. So don't you ever let your present condition or situation define your future. I love this quote by Nido, Nido Kwabin. It says, your present circumstances don't determine where you can go. Your present circumstances don't determine where you can go. They merely determine where you start. They're not where you can go, but where you can start. So don't you ever weep when you are facing storms of life, because life has two sides. I have seen some people that were drug addicts yesterday, but today they are powerful men of God. Church, tell me, who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. Until God says it is over, it is never over. Amen. So verse 6 says, so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. It was unfortunate that the disciples had Jesus with, with them, but they did, they did not realize the power in him. Many of us have the same problem. We carry the Lord with us, yet we are scared more than unbelievers. We don't realize the power 
God has deposited in us. We are even more afraid of Satan than God. So God, God, has, God has no intention for his children to run away from the devil because he has already defeated him for us. Let's read um, Ephesians 1.19, TPT. Paul is saying, I pray that you will continually, the word there is continually. He didn't say, he didn't say I pray that you will experience. He said that you will continually experience the immeasurable. Immeasurable means too large, very extensive greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. You see, this, the power has been made available to us. We have the power. You see, it has been made available to us through faith. It says, then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power. So God wants us to advertise this power, the power that he has deposited into us, and not to be scared, not to be afraid. Praise the Lord. That power was the same power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. So God wants us to advertise his power. God does not want you to talk about him. He wants you to talk for him. Praise the Lord. One of the ways you can do this is by telling people about the gospel. This gospel. God's good news. You remember the Great Commission? You know how salesmen talk about the products they are marketing for the company. They talk about the, the products for the company. God wants us to talk about the gospel for him. Another way is living under the dictate of the words. In other words, being guided by the Holy Spirit. That's another way we can advertise God is by living by the dictates of the world, word of God. You know, was by, by being guided by the Holy Spirit. You know, the only food, the only language the Holy Spirit understands is the word. He doesn't understand your tears, your emotion, whatever, you know, it's just the word. You speak the word, he hears, and he delivers. Praise the Lord. So Galatians 5.16, TPT says, let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, we will not abandon the crave of our self-life, because if the self is also pressurizing you to satisfy it. John 6, 63 says, The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you, uh, Spirit and life. And this is why the Spirit can only understand the word, because the word you speak is Spirit. Praise the Lord. John 3, 6 says, uh, you know, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
So you take the spirit, you know, spiritual things to understand this, you know, the spirit. So the word is spirit. So this, our, our spirit can only understand the word. So when the doctor says you have cancer, you should not panic, but rather go home to check what the word says, what God says about cancer, and speak to it. The word of God says, I shall live and not die to declare the goodness of God. The same way it enters your body is the same way it will leave your body. We know about this uh, acronym. Is it acronym? Giggle. Garbage in, garbage out. Praise the Lord. So if anyone, I like Isaiah 54, 15. God's word. Isaiah 54, 15. God's word. It says, if anyone attacks you, God is saying, if anyone attacks you, it will not be my doing. So don't you ever in your life say that God inflicted any kind of disease on you. He says, if anyone or anything attacks you, it will not be my doing. He says, whoever attacks you will be defeated by you. You are the one that will fight because he has given us uh, the power. Second Peter 3, uh, 1 Peter 1.3 says, he says, by my divine power, I've given you everything you need. Everything you need for this life. To live a good life and godly life. Say, I've given you everything. So there's not, nothing else God has given, you know, will give you. All those things he has given us, he now, he deposited us in our, in our spirit. They're all in our spirit. So if you, anyone you want, we saw the drama the other day. Anyone you want, you speak the language and the spirit will release it to you. Praise the Lord. Philippians 2, 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are supposed to think, to have the mind of Christ and think like Christ. We are supposed to call the things that are not as if they were. And because we are in Christ, we must cross over to the other side. No matter how powerful the storm is, we must cross over to the other side. Praise the Lord. Remember what Hebrew 13 says, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. As long as you are in Christ, your boat can never sink. The only way your boat will sink is if you are not, you know, in Christ. But your boat can never sink if you are in Christ. Verse 37, Mark 4, 37 says, But soon a fierce, a fierce, this aggressive storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. What really baffles me is that Jesus was sleeping while the boat was full of water. He was having a very peaceful sleep while the disciples were panicking. Remember that these were professional fishermen, yet they were so scared that they had to wake Jesus up from sleep. You know what I know? Rest. 
is a proof of faith. When there is calamity, in adverse calamity, you know, fears and, and, and you know, you are so calm and you are resting. That's a sign of faith. Because there's no amount of uh, worries or this thing that can save you. But when you know that God, only God can deliver you, and then you put your mind, your faith in him, you relax. He said, cast your body onto me because I care. Praise the Lord. And then when you look at that, it looks like the storm was waiting for, for them to come, to strike. Because the Bible says, as soon as they embarked on their journey, the storm came. Question, does it mean that Jesus did not know that the storm would come? Because he was the one that initiated the journey. But we know that he has the power to know the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46, 10, ERV says, in the beginning... I told you what would happen in the end. In the beginning, I told you what will happen in the end. A long time ago, I told you things that have never happened yet. When I plan something, it happens. I do whatever I want to do. That's our God. Praise the Lord. He knew about the storm, yet he hid it from the disciples. Why? Probably Jesus is developing them. He was developing them. He asked them, do you still have no faith? So by this time, he expected them to have faith. But they didn't have faith. They ran to him and woke him up. You know, back home, our people would say, pour him a bucket of water so he can get up. Why well, he took us to this journey and then he's sleeping. So Jesus asked them that very important question. Do you still have no faith? In other words, he expected them to have faith by now. And that's why James 1, 2, 4 is telling us a message. Consider it sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you, at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Don't try to get out into anything prematurely at Faith life is being tested. Let it do its work so you become mature and well developed. Not deficient in any way. So Jesus was trying them to see all this time I've spent with them. They have seen what I've been doing, how I've been healing, how I've been raising the people from dead, open the eyes of the blind. Let me see if they have faith in me. But one thing is sure, no storm can stop the purpose of God. No matter how powerful the storm is, it can never stop the purpose of God. It is also important we understand that God cannot ask you to do something without him going with you. God can't ask you to do something for him and then you know, he lay back and not go with you. God's plans always come with his presence. And his presence is always accompanied by his power. You cannot separate the presence of God and his power. Even when he was sleeping in the boat, his power didn't leave him. You remember in Matthew 28, you know, in the Great Commission, 
He says, all power, both in heaven and earth, has been given to me. Now I can now go and preach and teach the gospel. And he said, behold, I'm with you. Always, even to the end of the age of the world. So his plans come with his presence. So let's go with you. His divine presence should be our concession. Sometimes storms come to strengthen us. There is no testimony without a test. Why, don't, why did, did he hid it from them? The second reason may be, maybe Jesus was teaching them that they must depend on him to make it in life. He says, if it, uh, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you cannot exist, you cannot do anything, you cannot succeed in life without uh, his presence. That he was sleeping in the boat does not mean humanity, it means divinity. Look at all that storm, you know, the heaviness of the storm. And even the, 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 the water came inside the boat and he was still sleeping. His, I was wondering, his um, um, pillow didn't get wet. His mattress didn't get wet. His cushion didn't get wet. He was enjoying his sleep. I, I happened to work in a shipyard in, in those days in Seattle, Washington. And then uh, that was the first time I entered a, a ship. So after, because were, we were building warship. So after building, they would go and test it in Todd Shipyard. So that day, they included me as one of the staff that would go, you know, for the ride. I, I went. Well, when that storm came, it was a mild storm, but the way this boat, I mean, the ship was uh, moving, rocking, throwing us up and down. So when I read this, I said, wow. Because it says this storm is a severe storm that was just pushing the, the boats around, and yet... Jesus was, was sleeping. He didn't wake him up. And you know, what makes storm, storms aggressive is, is the wind, not, not, not the water. And this is why Jesus spoke to the wind, to be calm. Notice that there was great calm as soon as uh, he spoke to the wind. But the fact is that storms are real. They are part of our life. But as children of God, the presence of storm is not to destroy us, but to strengthen us. This can only happen if we have Jesus with us. Psalm 23, 4. New King James Version says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of, of, the, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? The reason is, for you are with me. For God is with me. So no matter where I'm stepping into, I cannot be afraid because God is with me. David also told us what to do when we are afraid. Psalm 56, 3 to 4. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in him. Say, I will put my trust in you when I'm afraid. Four, I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Praise the Lord. So if storm can come, to, come after Jesus, then we should all be expecting it. 
The question is, what do we do when it comes? Do we panic like the disciples or do we challenge it like Christ expected? John 16:33, TPT says, and everything I have taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you. And we give you great confidence. Give us very, you know, great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows. But you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Praise the Lord. Okay, Mark 4, 38, that's what we read before. says, Jesus was sleeping at the, at the back of the boat, like I said, with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that uh, we are going to drown? Can you imagine professional fishermen being afraid of storms and waking up a carpenter to save them? There is power in Jesus. Peace is evidence of faith, and faith is having confidence in God. They accuse Jesus for not caring about them, but we should always trust him, even when he is not around. Some of us are going through the storm of life right now. Some of us have prayed and prayed and prayed. They have fasted, and there's no positive result. They begin to ask God, where are you? I've been married for years and no child. You begin to ask questions like the disciples. God, don't you care that my enemies are laughing at me? I'm telling you today, don't worry. The Egyptians you see today, you see them no more tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Those that are laughing at you today, tomorrow they'll laugh with you. Amen. You have applied for jobs over and over again, and nothing is happening. My house is about to go into foreclosure. You started wondering, doesn't God care? These are storms of life. Remember, life has two sides. What you are today is not what you'll be tomorrow. Praise the Lord. And I want to tell you that he cares more about you than you, even you yourself care for yourself. So Matthew seven eleven says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God has good plans for us. Our future is brighter as a child of God. God thinks ahead of us and makes ways for us. Good ways. No matter the storm you are facing, you must surely cross over. Amen. You know, his silence is not his absence. That God is silent does not mean that he's absent. We remember what happened there when he gave Abraham a promise. 
Now, Abraham stayed 25 years before Isaac came. And God was silent throughout that time. But his silence wasn't his absence. It doesn't mean that he had forgotten you. God still have you in his palm. He thinks about you. He knows about you. He looks at you. Praise the Lord. So this is why he gave us patience as one of the elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience. All you have to do is have patience and begin to praise him and begin to thank him, waiting for the manifestation of what you, are, you have asked him to do. Mark 4, 39 says, in King James Version, it says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto, unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind, the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Church, God will arise and rebuke every sickness and diseases in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. He will arise and rebuke poverty. He will arise and rebuke infirmity. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As he has spoke to the wind, he's speaking to your finances. Amen. He's speaking to your marriage. Arise, O Lord, let my enemies be scattered. Arise, O Lord, let my enemies be scattered. Arise, O Lord, let my enemies be scattered. O Lord, O Lord, arise. Verse 4, it says, then he asked them. We talked about this. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no, no faith? How could they be afraid when they have the Savior with them? Because they acted by their senses. They acted by what they see. You see, by the, as a child, what you see doesn't matter that much. Because the, 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 the Satan will just project it so that you, you, know, you become afraid of what you are seeing. He makes it in such a way that you, you have no hope anymore. You, 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 know, you become hopeless. Second Timothy 1.70 says, for God will never, never, it says never give you the spirit of fear. The word there is never. He will never give you but, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. This is why Jesus was not happy with them. He asked them, why are you afraid? 41, verse 41 says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. See, their, their statements show that uh, they didn't know Jesus because if they did, they would not have been afraid. Who is this man could mean we thought we knew him. It's different from what uh, we thought. Who is this man? 
they did not realize that, they, that he was the one that created nature. And nature saw him and bowed. Praise the Lord. You know, I, I, when I was a, a substitute teacher at George Washington Carver, I, had a, I was eating lunch and then uh, reading my Bible, my, my lunch time. And this, I think I probably have told this story once. Um, um, Jewish uh, doctor over there came and sat with me. And then when he saw me reading the Bible, he said, oh, you are a Christian? I said, yeah. And then he said, do you believe that Jesus walked, walked on the water? I said, yeah. And then he started laughing. He started laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, it's against the, it's, it's against the law of nature. I said, who made nature? He created nature. I mean, if you're an artist, if when you draw something, you know, you have the right to redraw it, you know, to make it look the other way. So God has the right to speak to nature and command nature, and nature will obey him. Praise the Lord. You know, he says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, 29, he said there are certain things, certain things that are secret to him that he has not revealed to us because we don't need to know them. So God has his own secret. So when we try to figure out, it's just like a, trying to figure out uh, about the, the, the Trinity. God has his own strength. At that time, when we go to heaven, now he reveals everything to us. The little we know is enough, enough to equip us to meet him. Praise the Lord. I'm going to jump to Mark 5. Because uh, Mark, Mark 5, you know, when they started this journey, the storm came. And then you begin to wonder, where were they going? It must be a place that is so important that Jesus had to take that risk with his disciple, disciples to cross over to the other side of the lake. So the Bible in Mark 5 says, when they got there, it says, it says, the next morning, now this is joining the Saturday in the evening. It says, the next morning, they arrived safely. Praise the Lord. How many of them arrived? All. Oh, I pronounce this, by the end of this year, we're all crossing over to the next year. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Nobody will be left behind. In the mighty name of Jesus. They arrived. We will all arrive. In 2023, praise the Lord. He said the next morning they arrived safely on the far side. of. The, I'm just going to, I don't have time to read it, but I'm just going to tell the story. You see, when they arrived there, the first person that met them was a madman. A demon-possessed madman. He said this man was so powerful that the whole town was afraid of him. And this man was living in a tomb. And when Jesus came and asked him, he said his name is Legion, and there are too many demons in him. The Bible said that nobody could tame him, that he was a wild animal, and the whole villagers were scared of him. So when Jesus came and then he approached him and Jesus cast out the demons in him. 
And what happened? The man became calm and came and stood at the feet of Jesus. So the whole villagers heard of what happened and came and witnessed themselves. And many of them wanted Jesus to leave because many of them were, they capitalized on that. They were making money. You remember he, he the, 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 the madman, the legion, the demon, they, they, they requested that they should be thrown into this one. And they entered, in, you know, entered the, the, the pigs. So those people in that village lost a lot of money because of that. Because that was their source of income. So they asked Jesus to leave. So as Jesus was about to leave, the man wanted to go with him or with them. Jesus said, no, go back to your village and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Brethren, do you know that this man went, he says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon delivered man begged to go along, but he wouldn't let him. Jesus said, go home to your own people. Tell them your story, what the master did, how he had mercy on you. The man went back and began to preach in the, in the ten towns area about what Jesus had done for him. He was the talk of the town. So you see how wicked Satan is. Satan went and then this man was an evangelist. This man would have changed the whole city. Turned the whole city to Christ. But Satan went and bound him and a whole evangelist lived in the tomb. Became mad. mad. You know, was full of evil spirit. And this is why Jesus left where he left in the night, went through those storms, came to that town to free just one man, just one man, because that was a powerful evangelist that set him bound. Praise the Lord. You know, when I read this, I, I looked into the life of uh, Billy Graham, I saw that Billy Graham, even at the age of 16 years, had, uh, was opposing uh, Christianity. He was fighting them. You know how he got converted? The man of God that, that you know, preached and changed his life was preaching against, that's, 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 that was a, a kind of a, a hotel, I won't say a hotel, a place opposite one school, where Billy Graham and the rest of them attend. So that house, they allow students to take girls in and, you know, mess them up there. So this man was preaching, just like John, John the Baptist was preaching against Herod. So this man was preaching against what the students were doing. 
So the students plan to, to, to fight him, and they approach Billy Graham. Billy Graham was the only one that had a vehicle, and Billy Graham was so excited to go and watch the fight, and he took them. He carried them. He transported them. When they got there, the man was preaching, and the Holy Spirit touched him, and he became a changed man from there. But do you know, it is recorded that 2.2 billion estimated number of people listening to Billy Graham. 2.2 billion, I'm not talking about million. This is somebody Satan would have wasted. 250 million estimated number of people he preached the gospel to at life events. 2.2 million estimated number of people at his crusades who responded to the invitations of become a Christian. 185 estimated number of nations and territories where he preached. 66 years his radio program, The Hour of Decision, was brokers. 700 numbers of stations around the world that carried Hour of Decision. 425,000 subscribers to Decision Magazine. 5 million circulation of the newspapers. So the reason I'm really saying all these things, we are coming to the end of the year. Pretty soon, we will start uh, asking money to send to people back home to help them. Some of us, God has blessed us. There's a woman there with children that can impact the world. But because of lack of money, this child could not go to school. It is you and I. It is our responsibility for us to help. Praise the Lord.